This is episode number 81 of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jessie Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey friends, Jesse here. Before we dive into today's To Birth and Beyond episode, I want to tell you that there are only a handful of tickets left to my in-person one-day workshop in Toronto, Canada this September 15th. The event is called Postnatal Fitness Specialist Live. And it is for any fitness and health professionals or anyone who has a strong interest in postpartum exercise and pelvic health. I will be leading this six-hour day, and we're so lucky to have Anita with us on part of that day as well, as she will be teaching a session on pelvic floor anatomy and assessment and giving her perspective as a pelvic health physio working with postpartum people returning to fitness exercise, life, and sport. So in addition to that, on this day, you'll also be learning how to assess for diastasis recti on a variety of bodies, techniques for cesarean scar massage, strategies for coaching a client in fitness who is very early postpartum, and for those who are moving into higher intensity and higher impact training. And lastly, what I think is so important that we'll be covering is how to speak to your clients about body image in an intersectional way, particularly how we can be practitioners if you are a practitioner joining us who practices from a weight neutral and health at every size perspective. So there are only 20 seats total for that day, but we only have a few of those remaining. We would absolutely love to have you. The magic of in-person events is untouchable, and I cannot wait to be in community with you on September 15th in Toronto. If you want to join us when you want to grab one of those last tickets, go to programs.com jessiemundell.com slash pfsa dash live. That will be in the show notes of today's episode. And if you have any questions at all, you can email me or DM me on Instagram and Facebook. Happy to help. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of To Birth and Beyond, Jesse Mundell. And today we're joined by Amy Soon. Hi, Amy. Hi, Jesse. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you and to chat with you like this. I was trying to figure out how I actually found you on Instagram, and uh, I don't really know, but I'm so thankful that I did because it has been so fun to talk with you just on there in the DMs and the comments, and now we get to talk face-to-face. Yeah, I, I think I might know. There are several ways that we got connected, but I don't know the actual, like when we started talking to each other, but I know that 
I know of you because we have a lot of mutual friends, Steph Gaudreau, Chrissy King, Allison Tenney. Um, and you were, I used to be a moderator in Steph's Hard to Kill Club. And you were, you came on the podcast because in the comments, everyone was talking about like, oh, I pee, I had a baby, it's fine. And we were all talking as, as moderators, like, that's, that's not fine. Like, that's not, people were saying the usual, like, oh, that's just what happens when you have a baby. It's totally fine. Like, haha, this is funny. You're just going to pee all the time. And like, so she brought you on the show. And then I, I think, like, I would use, I'd be like, if someone had a comment in the Facebook group, they like, hi, please listen to the show with Jesse. And then we also just have so many mutual friends that I, uh, that I think that somehow in that, all of the things that that came to, like, come together yes I love it it feels like how my whole life and all these friendship works lately (laughs) yeah pretty much like I know you through someone who knows someone and we all have somehow like unknowingly like vetted each other and we start talking we're like oh my god you're great and then they're like oh my god you're great too and then becoming on friends so true and then they're like "I, I need to meet you in person one day where are you going to be next what event are you going to when can I meet you Exactly. Exactly. We're like, are you going to this event? Are you going to this? Or you're like, oh, this would be really cool. And then you find out that someone you know that you've never met in real life is going. So you're like, oh my God, I have to go now. I have to go to meet this person in real life. Yes. Well, I cannot wait until that day happens for us. Until then, (laughs) we'll keep chatting over the Instagram. And I love seeing what you're up to. I'm going to give a, let's give a quick little intro to who Amy is. And then you can tell us more specifically about the work that you do. So you are a certified nutritional therapy practitioner, author, recipe developer, designer, photographer, and podcaster. Amy is the owner of the nutrition and health coaching company, Small Eats, and the host of the podcast, Small Steps, which I highly recommend you all go check out after this. Amy helps people achieve health in a manageable way that aligns with their values and that is not focused on shrinking your body or staying quiet. So these are all the reasons that I love what you do so much. So tell us more specifically, what is it that you do? And what is your work like as a nutritional therapy practitioner? What I do is probably similar to what you do is I do a lot of things that somehow encompass inside this thing that neatly is called nutritional therapy practitioner. Um, But what I do a lot is I work with clients and I have the podcast. Um, A lot of what I do though, really what I feel like I do is I help hold space for people and I help give them the permission and give them a lot of options to show how they can really authentically live a life that they want and to figure out what actually worked for them through the lens of uh, food, nutrition, mindset, and how they really like take care of themselves. Something that I love that you and I totally both align with is that there's a lot of shit out there. There's a lot of shit out there that is confusing. And then there's a lot of stuff that we've been told, that we've been socialized, that we've been raised to believe that at some point somehow stops working for us. And we have this moment where we're like, oh, I don't think this is working anymore. I want to do something else, but I have no idea what that is. I'm terrified. I'm overwhelmed and I don't know what to do. I just know that there's a problem and that I want to start living a different way, but I have no idea. Um, So I provide a lot of options 
And I provide a lot of small steps with my clients and in my podcast of how people can do that through their health and wellness and really supporting people in doing that. And also like cutting through the bullshit, the really conflicting bullshit of like, this is quote healthy. This is not quote healthy. This is bad for you. This is the devil. This is the best thing ever. Like all of the confusion out there, I kind of really help cut through that with my clients and then with the podcast. Yeah. I love that. You help people live in the gray, I think. Two interesting things. You help people live in the gray area, which is tricky in itself. And as you mentioned, you work in small steps. This is no life overhaul in six weeks type coaching program that you're offering. No. (laughs) Although for some people it could feel like a life overhaul within six weeks, just by the mindset changes that might occur during that time. But yeah, you're not trying to completely change someone by any means. You're really just trying to support them and offer them a way to move forward in a fashion that truly works with them and aligns with living their best life at this time. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of it comes from, you know how people say the work that you do is the work that you need the most? It was because I needed this work a long time ago and I started I started really focusing on my health and my wellness uh, like 10, almost 10 years ago. Um, and a lot of things have happened and changed and I'm nowhere by no means quote done because you're never quote done, but it really like in looking back, it took a lot of small steps, a lot of like few steps forward, maybe a few steps like to the side or like zigzag. And so that's really, and also as someone who, can see the bigger picture and the smaller picture that can zoom in and out, it can get really overwhelming for me. So small steps have actually been the thing that have worked for me. So I'm like, all right, if it works for me, I'm sure that there are so many other people. And I keep hearing it over and over and over again, like the small steps, that's what you do. And I'm like, well, duh, (laughs) that's what worked for me. Like it could work for a lot of other people. And I think there's something also to the smallness of it and the, the very like not sexiness of it that is so counter to what's out there what's being advertised what industries are built off of that the and those industries are still keeping us a lot of a lot of folks trapped in this one idea and caught up in this very not gray very black or white thinking and yeah the more of us that move to the gray and make the gray seem okay and approachable I'm here for that because I also have needed that a lot. Like I've talked with my therapist so many times over the years. I can remember all the conversations of like, I don't understand how to do this. I don't understand how to live in the gray or embrace the gray. I don't know where I'm going. And she's like, it's okay. And like, I'm, I still, I still have like, I'm doing hand motions that no one can see, but I'm still doing, (laughs) I still have trouble with it because I'm, I'm still a human being, but I'm so much better at it and accepting it and embracing it and reminding myself that it's okay than I was before when I was very like, no, it's all this or it's all that or all of that stuff that we constantly kind of poke at now. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. I think so many people listening in need to hear exactly that. Yeah. It can be really uncomfortable this journey to getting there. I know it has been for me. Can you talk to us about what led you to food? What led you to nutrition? What was your journey like? So it's very funny because I never thought I would do this. If you told me 10 years ago, maybe like 
11 or 12 years ago that this is something I was going to be interested in, I would have laughed in your face <laughs> because for most of my life, I have a very extensive art and design background. And that's what I wanted to do since I was like 12 years old. I wanted to be a designer. I wanted to be in design. I wanted to do back in the day, it was called um, commercial art. Now it's called graphic design, uh, but I wanted to do that for such a long time. And I wanted to be in arts and I highly identified as an artist. I went to art college, all this stuff. Um, but at one point it became clear, especially in art school, because art school um, is very different than regular college. I have no idea what regular college is like at all, because when you're in art school, it's really focused on work and projects and creating a bunch of stuff all the time. It's a very skill-based education. And so um, I had six classes, six or seven classes, and every single one of those classes was like, you need to create at least 20 to 50 iterations of whatever we're working on right now every, every week. What? It was a constant, like I was constantly making, trying to come up with ideas, iterating, like that's what I did for four years in a condensed space. And so obviously if you're so focused on, hitting this number and then having quality and wanting to have a good critique in class because that's how you're graded. Uh, all I focused on was working. And that also didn't help because I'm also naturally like a very hard worker. Mm -hmm. Like I know how to work really hard, yeah. which for your health is not the greatest thing. So when I was a senior in college, I all of a sudden realized like when I went into college, I was the lightest I had ever been. Ever. Like I wore size zero jeans and that was like, oh my God, this is so like, oh my God, this is so exciting. Um, and then when I left college, I was wearing anywhere from a six to an eight, which like, yes, this is like thin people problems for sure. And also I'm under five feet. So when you're smaller and you gain weight, it's more noticeable. Mm -hmm. And also like being a person that has been very socialized to like prefer thinness, to want thinness, family members telling me throughout the course of my entire life that thinness was better and complimenting my body when I was smaller. And then being on the other side of it and hearing from people I loved in my life saying that because I was quote heavier, which really wasn't that heavy at the time, but it was visible if you had known me, uh, that I wouldn't get a job because wow. I was heavier, even though I wasn't really that heavy. But like, so it became clear that um, my weight and my health, I had not prioritized myself at all. I had no, I had no skills to do that. And I had no space to do that. And once I finally graduated from college, I had space and I had time and I wanted to, my, <laughs> why this all started was because I wanted to lose weight, mm -hmm. but through what, through everything I ended up, yes, I lost fat. Sure. But I, it became something so much more. So I got interested in food because I was really learning. I knew how to cook growing up, but I didn't really know how to cook in a way that wasn't like five dishes that my mom taught me that were probably like super suburban and like based on like ground beef and like casseroles and like condensed soup. Um, <laughs> so I learned to cook for myself and then got really, was also like really into food started getting really into food also because food is an extremely creative thing. Yeah. So that like really was interesting to me on my design side. And so I started really getting into food and 
like this idea that healthy food didn't have to taste like shit. And so I started a food blog because people were like, oh my God, this is so good. And like, for, cause for some reason, healthy food has, everyone has that idea that healthy food tastes like cardboard. And I was like, no, if you just season it and you just like, no, it doesn't have to taste like crap at all. And so I started a food blog for in 2012, 2013, 2013, I started a food blog because I needed a, I needed a creative outlet, which people always find really funny because I was working as a designer doing a creative job and people are like, wait, what? (laughs) But it really just wasn't aligning with me. I didn't have any space to express myself or create or feel any sense of control. My job was very difficult. There were a lot of like very difficult personalities and it wasn't really aligned with me. And so I was like, oh my God, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Like, is this really what I want to do? Is this really what this world is going to be like? Do I want this? And so the thing that brought me the most joy at the moment was cooking. And so I created a blog and throughout the course of that realized that there was so much more in nutrition and got really interested in in that. And then got to this point where, like I said earlier, I got confused by all the things out there of like, what's healthy, what's not healthy. And then I decided to get more education and then became that sounds very strange. Became the person I am today. Um, but that's how what led me to be a nutritional therapy practitioner. So super long-winded origin story answer about how I started into food. That's so cool. I especially love that it was a creative outlet for you, just in a different, just in a different way as to what you were doing throughout the rest of your day at your day job. I'm also just blown away with the amount of work that you had to do during that graphic design schooling. And I can't even understand how you had any space to create and be creative when you had to be producing at that level. So yeah, I had to, we had to produce a lot, but I didn't necessarily enjoy all of it or have the best ideas. It was more of like getting you used to that skill of being able to produce a lot. So I don't really, I didn't really like a lot of those things. And I have very mixed feelings about art school in general, but it did prepare me for being able to like come up with a lot of things quickly, even if not all of those things were quality. Yeah. So interesting. Capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) Right? That was another conversation. (laughs) So many different conversations. So many different conversations. Okay. So you got into this, right? Really, you're hoping to make your body smaller when you started to get interested in food. So how do you feel like you're still trying to get out of that, to peel those layers away from you about thinness and the value of thinness and all the stuff that comes along with that? Oh yeah. All the time. I feel like I'm at a better place now and there are still those things that pop up and I'm like, where the hell did that come from? Oh, this is still here. Yeah. Great. Totally. And was something very interesting that literally just happened this morning is I had a physical uh, last week and I haven't, I kind of avoided, this is not something I would ever recommend to any of my clients, but it happened. I avoided going to a physical for two years because I went off the birth control pill and I didn't really want to go into my doctor and get a, get a lecture about why I should be back on the pill or like why my, because for a while my cycle hadn't come back. 
And I knew that this was like, this could happen. This was normal. And I was doing what I could do, but I, um, I didn't want to lecture. So I just skipped it. Yeah. I, just, I just skipped it. And so I just went back for the first time in two years and I got my lab results via the internet. And what was so funny is that one of the, like most of my labs are normal. My cholesterol is a little higher than the recommended range, which I'm like, what exactly is okay? Sure. Whatever. Uh, and then my doctor was like, you should eat a low fat, high fiber diet so that you could have lower cholesterol. <sighs> and I was, I laughed at it because I was like, ha, this is, but there's also still a part of me that like got a little worried of like, is she right? Like it, are my numbers, a, are my numbers bad? Quote, quote, bad. Are they quote good? Are they okay? Like, I don't have enough information. The, the nutritionist part of me was like, I don't actually have enough information here to really assess whether this quote bad number is actually a quote bad number or not. Mm-hmm. But it's still weird to net to basically like go back into the regular world and navigate that because I feel like probably the same as you, like we've built these really awesome bubbles yes, of awesome people who reinforce things that are helpful to step away from diet culture and to continue to always examine and like unpack and unlearn all these things. And it's still strange when you re-enter the normal world, you get this feedback and you're like, oh, I still have these reactions and I still have these feelings and I still have these thoughts and I'm still working on accepting certain parts of my body. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And how many years would you say it has been since you've been actively working on checking those thoughts and shifting them? Honestly, I think two-ish, two-ish years. And I know that might seem like a long time to some people, but I feel like that is so small. Like it's not a lot of time at all. It's not. And this is what I always think about and talk about with my clients too. I feel like I've been really thinking about this stuff and trying to shift my relationship with my food and my body for the better part of seven, eight years now. And I still check myself constantly about thoughts that might come up. It's fewer and far between at this point because I've had a lot of practice with it, but still it's going to continue to come up. Like, I don't think there will ever be a point where I'm like, don't, don't consider these things. This isn't something that operates space in my mental energy anymore think it will continue to be something that is actively worked on and that's okay. I think that sometimes people also feel like they're not doing it right or they're not doing it well enough if they still find these thoughts coming up and that's just not the case at all. Yeah. And I think it's important to remember that whatever age you are, you have like, I'm 31, right? I have 31 years of stuff to look at and unpack in all areas of my life. Like that's a really long time. That's a lot of reinforcement, whether that was subconscious or conscious in my environment, in my own thoughts in media, like to step away from. So it's not a, it's not a thing that can be stepped away from with like you were saying a six week course or overnight or like with one year of therapy, like it all, it's very nonlinear and comes up all the time. And I think what has been really helpful for me as far as like 
yeah, I've been f- like more focusing on it or more aware of those thoughts for the past two years. But I also think being someone who has um, integrated mindfulness and becoming really aware of my thoughts probably for the past like five or six years, that's been really helpful because I can see the thought and I already start to be like, all right, I see you. I hear you. I'm not really going to fight you. I'm going to meet you with some questions or just notice it and like keep moving. So it has been in that way. I think it's been a lot easier for me to deal with this if versus if I had had no sense of mindfulness practice or something else as a foundation to help me really look at these thoughts and be okay with the fact that these thoughts pop up from time to time and they still kind of make me go, huh, what's that about? Yeah. Yes. So true. I, uh, it's just reminding me of you saying about going to the doctor, putting it off. My oldest, who's going to be four soon, they have to do this, or you can choose to do this immunization after four years old. And the nurse was telling us last time we were in with my son, who's younger, getting his immunizations. She was saying, oh, it's almost time to bring your four-year-old in for hers. And we'll do her BMI at that point to make sure that she's on track and growing well. And I was like, okay, thank you. I didn't say anything else about it at that point, but I feel like I've been mentally preparing myself for months now since that conversation as to when we next take her in to like, how the fuck do you have that conversation with a nurse who's doing BMI for your four-year-old and is going to say, what about her health with that number at that point? She's only four, so my daughter doesn't need to have that information or know what that information means, but she will eventually as she grows, as she gets older. It's just so interesting parenting along in this journey too, and still doing my own work on this, checking my own thoughts about bodies and thinness and fatness and how to communicate that stuff with a young child, young children as well. It's a lot of stuff. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm sure that it makes you reflect on how you were raised and what happened with you. Because when you were talking about that, you're talking about your daughter, that reminded me of like, oh man, all the times when I went to a doctor growing up, all the comments that were said to me, all the things, like I wasn't heavy, but I wasn't thin. Like I've always had like a little belly and, um, that was commented on. Or like when I was in the fifth grade, literally my doctor who didn't have the best bedside manner, like literally said in front of my face to my mom that I was overweight. And my mom was freaked out because she's just, she's been told like, that's bad. And that she doesn't want to, she doesn't want that for her kid and all this stuff. And so like, yeah, I can only imagine how interesting it is to navigate with your, with your, your kids and also think about reflect on your experiences too. Yeah, absolutely. Do you remember what happened after that conversation when you were in the fifth grade? (sighs) Yes and no. It's a little bit blurry, but I, I was definitely one of those people that was, I wasn't, I dieted in the very loose air quotes for a long time. I was never on like a specific plan or whatever, but you know, 
I was aware of what I was eating or made a point not to ask for seconds or, you know, not eating, not eating a large, quote, large amount of my food. Or I decided, I don't know exactly why. I think I thought it was, quote, bad for me. Sometime in my adolescence, I declared that mayonnaise was disgusting. Now I fucking love mayonnaise and I eat it all the time. Um, I choose a different quality of mayonnaise, but I, uh, I'm like, sure, I'm going to eat some mayonnaise. If I'm, we're going to make some, we're going to make some fries. I'm going to dip them in mayonnaise and like enjoy the shit out of them. But there was, there were things that I selectively just like decided not to eat anymore or was very much the person that only ate half, like all of these things in diet culture. And then certain years, depending on what I was doing in school, like riding your bike to the park all the time. And then I remember my mom commenting on my body size changing because we would ride our bikes to the park all the time. And I think the park was probably maybe a mile round trip, like from our, from our house. Um, so, and, or one summer for summer school, this is probably a really dumb idea, but I did it anyway. Cause I grew up in Texas. And so it's really hot. I did PE during the summer for summer school. <laughs> part of PE was you had to, part of your grade, which is so, now that I think about this, this is so really messed up. Part of our grade was being able to progressively over the weeks, run a certain amount of laps or like do a certain amount of laps. And each week it would go up. Um, Cause there was a track and we had to do that, but we had, we had a cutoff time because it would get too hot, obviously. But I basically did that for an entire summer. Obviously my body composition changed because I went from like not, not having PE to running or run slash walking like every day for two months and getting comments on my body and thinking that that was good. So yeah, it was, it wasn't, I don't remember exactly like that day I like threw everything out or I cried, but it definitely had ripple effects. And there were times when I couldn't, I couldn't look at pictures of myself. Like there's a picture that I remember of me as a fifth grader leaning against a tree. And it's also really hard to tell because I wore baggy clothes. I think I wore baggy clothes to hide, to hide my body and to hide comments from my body. But yeah, it's like, it's hard looking back at that little person and wanting to tell that little person so many things. And honestly, like, I don't know, because I don't have many photos of that time right now or like in my possession, like maybe my parents have them somewhere or they're in a box that I can't find yet. But I don't actually know what she looked like in real life. I only know what I remember in my body, but I don't remember what she actually looked like out, like looking at someone from the outside and looking at someone from the inside. So, yeah. So interesting. I found, I resonate with so much of what you're saying and I found photos or my mom sent a few photo albums out to us and I had some serious eating disorder issues that came up around eight, nine years old. And in those photo albums were pictures of me from that time. And I remember so clearly on how I was feeling, the thoughts that I was thinking about my body, things that I would do, my behaviors around food and eating, like similar as you were saying. It is just so wild how this stuff sticks with us so deeply. So I was reading on your website and 
in that it says, I don't focus on fat or weight loss with my clients. Has this always been the case since you started nutrition coaching or has this changed for you? It's changed. Okay. So when I, when I was a baby NTP, literally not too long ago, um, I knew, I knew that based on my education, I knew that like we didn't emphasize fat loss, not because we, uh, that wasn't a focus. It wasn't a focus of the program, not because they didn't, that was a value of theirs. It was because there was so much other stuff to learn that was a higher priority, like the foundations and how your body works and blood sugar regulation, all of that stuff that was more important. So we focused most of my, most of my education focused on that. And then there was like one extra like unit in what I learned. And it was like, oh yeah, fat loss, like really quickly, like breezed over. Here's a book that we recommend, blah, blah, blah. I've since literally thrown that book in the trash because uh, I bought it, but never read it. Um, but it wasn't anything that was focused on, but it was mentioned that if you if you work on balancing the foundations and working on your health, that your body composition could change. Cause that's true. Your body composition could change based on other health and nutrition or lifestyle factors that you're that you're taking. Um, and also, so there was that, why I didn't focus on it? Why I didn't say it, but there was also in the diet, in realizing that diet culture was a thing, and this was water that I was swimming in, because when I was in school, I had no idea. It was only after school and like life and all of these things. I realized the feedback that I got a lot was that people wanted to lose weight and that it wasn't coming off. And I had had that similar experience because before I became, before I started studying, I had a similar experience of I had been on a you know, weight loss ish journey for a while. And I plateaued just not based on my weight, but based on, uh, not like not based on the weight on the scale, but based on like what my body actually looked like. Um, so I had already like kind of sort of been stepping away from diet culture, but not really realizing that's what I was doing. Um, but I plateaued at one point because I, I didn't see, uh, my clothes weren't changing. My body wasn't changing. And I had no idea why. <laughs> Zoom out. What was happening at the time, I was at an extremely, extremely stressful job. There was way too much going on. Uh, I since left that job, but when I left that job, my responsibilities got split up between like two or three people. So <laughs> I was doing, I was doing a lot, taking on a lot. Also was still blogging and doing food recipe development, which is a lot of time and work and scheduling. And I've been in a partnership for a really long time. And I was like, I was, I had this a second moment of like, I'm really fucking fed up with my life. I, this something needs to change. I don't want, I don't know what to do. And so also like in the middle of all that was like, I'm going to go back to school and get the certification. And then in school realizing like, oh, my weight or my composition wasn't changing because I was so fucking stressed out. I was too stressed out. I couldn't like my body was trying to keep me alive by holding on to all my fat for like fueling this survival, this stress that was happening to me all the time. So I knew that that was something I definitely knew that stress was a big issue. And that was something that I wanted to focus on with clients that I worked with after I got out of the program. 
And some of that still was steeped in diet culture because a lot of times people would tell me that they were frustrated that they weren't losing weight, even though they were doing quote, everything right. So I had that, like, I had that mentality for a while of like, not that I'm going to help this person focus on losing weight, but what I could do could help them move the scale. And that I would be accepting clients that were saying like, I'm tried everything and I can't lose weight. But recently it's become really, really clear to me that that's, I do not want to work with a person that wants to lose weight because there are so many, or fat, because there are so many nuanced things within that. Um, And a lot of it really has to do with how much we're steeped in diet culture and how much we're really trying to shove ourselves into this tiny, tiny, really specific box that may not actually be what we want and really might not be what our actual individual bodies need. Yeah, so, so important. It might not be what our bodies want to be. Like they really just might not want to be the smaller size. They might want to be the size they are now or a bigger size or a much, much bigger size. These, these are the truths of how bodies can be. And that's not what we're given. That's not what we're sold at all. So if someone comes to you saying they do want to lose some weight or they do want to lose fat, what do you just turn them away, refer to someone else? What is that conversation like? I haven't had that conversation too much. Um, I did recently and it taught me a lot because I made a choice to, so my process is I have someone fill out a questionnaire and then I schedule a call with them just to see like, are, are you the right fit for me? Am I the right fit for you? Are we the right fit to work together? Um, and I did put something in my form that I don't, I don't focus on. I don't focus on fat loss as a primary goal. And that, yes, I do acknowledge that your body composition could change, but that's not the focus that I have as a practitioner. Um, and then reading this person's form, it became clear that they might not have read that or that wasn't like, cause I, I, in the formatting of the form, I couldn't like highlight it or make it bold or make it like 20 size font. I couldn't make it big enough. Um, and it turned out that that's actually what this person wanted. Also like to give this person like the benefit of the doubt, they didn't, I don't think they actually knew who I was. They knew I was a nutritional therapist. They had heard nutritional therapy was helpful. So they wanted to work with me. So I don't think it would, would have been a right fit anyway. So I, I was very clear that I don't focus on fat loss and I talked about diet culture. It was, it was a kind of an awkward phone call and kind of an awkward conversation. And they decided like they didn't want to work with me. And I was like, that's fine. That's cool. Like that's, that's not what I'm here for. And have since like made it more increasingly more clear. Like we're all working, we're all learning as we, as we go. And every, every time I talk with a potential client or a client, I learn so much about, I get so much feedback about what I'm saying or what they need or what I'm not here for. Um, and so it became really clear to me that that message wasn't being communicated as clearly. So I've since like been making it more clear that I'm not, that's not what I'm here to do. And because a lot of the people that I do work with and the people that are interested in working with me are the people that I do want to talk to. They're like, I'm so confused about what to eat. I'm really tired of trying to figure out what works. I don't know. I've tried so many diets, they've failed. And I just really want to figure out how to take care of myself. And that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to help you figure out how to take care of yourself in all sorts of ways. And 
dieting and fad diets is not what I think is a way to take care of yourself. Yes. And just as you're saying that, it feels so relieving to me as the coach, as the practitioner to, to let that go. And that's what it felt like for me when I stopped discussing, talking about focusing on fat loss with people as well. It was so relieving for me as the coach that I didn't have to try to make that happen for someone when I literally can't make that happen for someone and the person, it might not happen for them too. And that's why I love that you've mentioned it a couple of times now that fat or weight loss could be something that happens if someone changes these health or lifestyle behaviors, but it also might not happen from all those changes we're making. And that is totally perfectly fine too. And what else is available to the person um, as benefits or as seeing progress or what else could we be working towards in terms of goals um, other than fat and weight loss? Like what else is there? So can you just explain that? What else are people wanting to see from their work in, in working with you? A lot of it recently is trying to get clear on what works for them because I, the concept that why I became a nutritional therapy practitioner specifically was that they really focus on bioindividuality, which is like, we're all different. We're all different people. We have different backgrounds, lifestyles, medical histories. There is no one size fits all. So therefore what's going to work for me, isn't going to work for you, isn't going to work for someone else. Or like parts of those things might work or like the combination, like everything that works for us might not work for exactly someone else. Like the whole like template bullshit isn't actually a thing because one person's life isn't exactly the same. So a lot of people want clarity on how to figure out what works best for them to figure out what those options are to even try because there are, sometimes there are too many options and that's really overwhelming or there are so many options and people don't quite, because they've realized that there's a, such a large distrust because maybe they've tried a bunch of different diets or ways of eating and it's not quite working for them. They're like, I don't even know where to start anymore. I don't even know what to try. So really getting clear on possible things to try um, and also working on diet culture and really addressing that and starting to figure out what health looks like for them now and their values and how to honor that and also continue to step outside of diet culture at the same time. So there's the, what feels like at the basic level, which is extremely important of nutrition, what works for you, what works for your body, what might not work for you, what might not work for your body, getting clear on that. And then a deeper level of Working on that while also realizing that things that you might have held on to or carried or learned throughout the years actually haven't been helping you and your overall health and your overall wellness and getting you to where you want to go. I love that. Yeah, that's so important to be talking about. And I'm also thinking as you're talking through all this and working with people, so if they do start to lose weight, if they do start to lose fat in these behavior changes that they might be making, how do you manage that? Or like, what do those conversations look like if someone is then feeling 
really good or really proud or they are starting to get these comments about their body about how they've lost weight and how good they're looking and all of this other stuff that can come up with that like how do we help people stay aware of that level-headed grounded and not want to dive into these nutrition behaviors like harder 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 yeah that's a really good point I haven't had that with any of my clients yet, yet, because it will probably come up because it's a very normal and natural thing. And I think that if a client were to come to me right now and have that same like question of like, my body composition is changing. Also, what's important to mention, I'm experimenting with this right now. I don't, I took off the weight off of my intake form. So I don't actually, unless they want to disclose to me what they weigh, I don't ask them because I, like I, them. I don't know if it's necessarily important because I, the, the important thing that I do is I ask, what does health look like for you? What are your health goals? And everything ideally should go back to like, how is the work that we're doing reinforcing your goals? So someone like people are like, I feel really bloated and gassy and I would like to feel less bloated and gassy. That's a very clear and specific goal that has nothing to do with changing your weight. If what you're eating changes in order for you not to feel bloated or gassy, and maybe your appearance looks different, okay. Um, But really trying to focus on keeping it back, bringing it back to like the why. Why are you here? Why are you doing the work that you want to do? Why are you focused on your health and your wellness right now? What does that look like? Is fat loss or your body changing, like, is that actually important to you? If so, why? Like, let's get really, let's go deeper and figuring out like, why is that important to you? What does that really mean? Because a lot of times, honestly, mostly speaking from my own experience of like being someone who fucking loves therapy and like diving into all of these things, a lot of times that what we really see, what really lights us up when people comment is that they see us and that they validate us and they give us attention. Because we all really deeply, no matter what age we are, we all deeply, deeply need attention. And this is something that I learned from Dr. T. Williams in an even deeper way of like just how much we need attention as human beings and how powerful it is when we actually give people the attention that they want and that they need and that's helpful for them, like how healing that can be for someone. So when we hear that praise this is not like from a science level. This is from me like talking based on my personal experience and what I've seen with other people. When we receive any kind of validation, no matter how um, fleeting or if it's the right kind of validation, like if we see some base level of validation, I feel like our brain's like, oh, someone sees us. We're seen, we exist, we're here. We're, We're doing our things, we're alive. Like we do exist, we are important because there's so much external validation because yes, we, we want, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be validated. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be seen. It's just figuring out the balance of feeling secure in yourself and validating yourself and figuring out how to be with and around people that validate you in a way that adds to your life and the validation that you're giving yourself and doesn't take away from your validation. That doesn't like chip away. So if someone makes a comment that you don't, you wouldn't really want like, oh, you know, like you look so cute in that dress. Like I can tell you're losing weight. 
if you're a little bit more secure in your validation and you're really clear on what's important to you and your values, you'll be like, okay, thanks for that compliment. Like, thanks. You, you're, it, it takes work for sure, but it can be like, okay, thanks for seeing me. Thanks for acknowledging me. And also deciding on who this person is, what this interaction is, what level of like working on yourself and your image, your body image, like you can decide to have that conversation of like, you know, thank you so much. I really like this dress. I really would appreciate not having any more comments on my body and seeing where that goes. And it's, it can be really awkward and it's not something that I have navigated a lot yet with this like increased awareness and this increased vocabulary and I also think it's very much, if that's something that happens a lot, I think that's very much worth thinking about having a conversation and seeing who you want to have those conversations with because it's, if, it's, if that chips away at your, your personal validation, that's something worth having a conversation about with other people and with yourself. That was beautiful. Thank you. Such a great answer. So many good things to think through there. I want to talk with you about something slightly different than this, but orthorexia. And this is something that we have chatted a little bit about again in the DMs. But I'm so interested in this from a nutritional therapy practitioner perspective as well, because I assume that this might come up for people. I know that I have encountered this personally and with my clients as well. And basically, can you explain to us what orthorexia is and if you see this coming up for people that you are working with or in your community? Yeah, I would love to talk about this. Also, I do want to add a disclaimer that a base level nutritional therapy practitioner or nutritional therapy consultant do not have the, it's not within our scope of practice to treat or diagnose, especially eating disorders. And we don't have straight out of the gate being like christened like you are nutritional we don't have the skills and education in specifically working with eating disorders and it is something that the more you're out in the world we're like oh 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 there is there are a lot of disordered eating behaviors or like actual disordered eating that comes up quite a bit when you work with a nutritionist in any capacity, nutritional therapy practitioners, or in general. Um, nutritional therapy practitioners, just to back up a little bit, we focus on um, ba- rebalancing the body's stuff, anything really. Like if there's some kind of imbalance in something, we help you rebalance that and we help allow your body to start to heal itself because your body is really fucking amazing and can do a lot of really powerful things without you noticing it. Like the fact that you're alive right now, there are so many things happening in your body that we're not even aware of in a conscious level. And there can be sometimes things that impede on your body doing what it needs to do or wants to do. So when working with a nutritional therapy practitioner or consultant, we help relieve those burdens or rebalance those things so that your body can do naturally what it needs to do. And we usually do that through some foundations and some nutritional things not entirely um, like disordered eating. And I think that it's something that is extremely important to look at the mindset, the mental stuff that's happening, the anxiety, the things below that, that could result in disordered eating. And orthorexia, which is something that 
I'm really glad that we're here to talk about, not that I'm an expert on it on any means, but it's something that I see. I see orthorexic behaviors or like touches of it with either clients or with people in the health seeking world in general, people that would listen to this podcast or people that would have a list of healthy food bloggers or people that uh, are more in the wellness world. There is a possibility. There is a very real possibility that uh, what can be deemed healthy or healthful or in the pursuit of wellness can kind of shift over to this orthorexic potential behavior. So a little bit of, I did some, I did some research, so I would come prepared for this conversation and I learned some fun things. Orthorexia is a term that was coined in 1997 by Dr. Stephen Bratman and the actual translation of it means correct diet. Whoa. Right. right? I was like, oh, (laughs) that's so strange. Um, it, there, there are a few definitions, but the one that popped up the most was it is an, an obsession with proper or healthful eating and people maybe become fixated on healthy eating to the point that it becomes harmful. So there are, I've found a bunch of different signs and symptoms um, from the National Eating Disorders Association and from other places on the internet. And I want to be really clear that some of these things like these things might feel sticky because when I was reading them, they felt a little sticky to me too. Mm-hmm. So you're not alone in feeling that stickiness. Um, and I think I will, I want to talk about after reading this list, I do want to mention like caveats, exceptions, nuance, because like, that's what Jesse and I are all about. <laughs> yes. And nuances and all that stuff. But here are some common uh, signs and symptoms that orthorexic behavior or orthorexia could be something that might need to be addressed. So compulsive checking of ingredients and nutrition labels, an increased concern about the healthiness of ingredients, cutting out food groups or cutting out more and more food groups, an ability to eat anything that's not in a very specific, like clean or healthy food list, um, an increased interest in what other people are eating often that comes with some kind of judgment or shame or blame whether that's just in your brain or like you literally like, oh, what are you eating there? Fritos. Um, Thinking about spending a large amount of time thinking slash worrying about what food is going to be served at any event or party or someplace that you're going or attending. Um, Feeling a lot of distress or anxiety if where you are that has food doesn't have food that is safe or healthy for you. Um, Body image concerns. Uh, obsessive following of food and healthy lifestyle blogs on social media or any other places in the internet or the world, anxiety about how food is prepared, like asking a lot of questions about like, well, what was this cooked in? What oil did you use? Things like that. Um, avoiding, uh, avoiding social events entirely because they, the food there does not comply with your diet at all. Um, thinking and judging other people that aren't basically living the food life or the wellness life that you are spending a lot of time and money on like the right foods, prepping them a certain way. Um, And also what comes with that is if you quote fail on that, beating the shit up out of yourself or doing that and like really shaming yourself and also putting yourself on a pedestal that you're like, you're healthier than that person or like, oh my God, look how so much better I'm doing. And, you know, spreading around the shame, the blame and the guilt. 
So, so a, a lot of these things, like when I was reading them, I was like, oh, fuck. Like I, I, I've checked, I've checked these boxes at certain times in my life. Totally. And honestly, like this could be probably an entirely different conversation, entirely different podcast, like in the nutrition world, like being a nutritionist, like this behavior is uh, rampant. Mm-hmm. I'm going to throw that word out there. Like it's very common. That can be a completely different conversation about like who does this work and like, why do we do this work and all that? Yeah. But I do want to say, I do want to caveat that some of these things, some of these things in these lists might actually be legitimate concerns that you have. Because if you are, if you have some type, type of diagnosis for an acute or chronic condition where what you eat really does matter, like, of course, you're going to be a little concerned about like, what's in the food? How did you make it? If you have any food allergies or intolerances and you're like, cross-contamination like is a life-threatening thing for me. Like if you carry an EpiPen or you know that if you eat this thing that you might not know how it's prepared and it might have some cross-contamination and you're going to feel like shit for the next few days, like your body is actually going to feel like shit. Not like you're mentally going to feel like shit, but you're going to have like physical symptoms. If you're working on for any reason, like rebalancing something ideally with a nutrition or medical professional and you know that eating certain foods will physically again physically not make you feel good or physically cause some kind of reaction in in your body there is going to be a heightened level of awareness around what's in your food and what you're eating and also like to the point of this podcast like to birth and beyond like if you're trying to conceive or if you're in the prenatal or the postpartum periods like anywhere in that in that journey your body does need additional support for you, for the baby that you've carried or that you are carrying. Like there are things that you might be more aware of like, oh yeah, I know that I need to eat more of certain foods or I want to eat more of certain foods to get certain nutrients or certain things will help me. Or maybe I know that there's certain, there are so many like layers of nuance to this. So I do really want to also throw that out there. If you feel like some of these things are like, I don't know. Or maybe I have this thing, like we see you, we got you and certain things on here. Yeah. Like you might naturally have for other reasons that aren't orthorexia or orthoracic behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for all of that. Of course, as you said, nuance, so many layers to this and we can also see some really dangerous stuff that can come up when you're reading through that list I've totally been there too. These are things that I am have done a lot of work on over the past few years of really checking my thoughts around as well. And I think um, <laughs> for sure this kind of stuff can come up in pregnancy when you're growing a human inside of you. And then I feel like some of the moms or parents listening in will also resonate with this around feeding children as well. So things to think about. So if we do notice some of these things in ourselves from what you have read, what do we do? Where do we go from here? So the technical advice, the advice from the NEDA is to consider, especially if you have a lot of these, consider working with a psychotherapist or a person that's specialized in eating disorders. I highly co-sign that because this is a manifestation of something else. There are root causes to this that once you get clear on what those are for you and where those are, you're really going to be able to start to 
step away from really having these behaviors all the time. So there's something, there's something below this. There's, this is a, this is an extension of something else that hasn't really been looked at or treated in your life. And something that was not recommended on the site, but we're going to talk about this because we do this anyway, our environments in general and the systems at play are also really not fucking helpful. Yeah. Like diet culture, capitalism, fat phobia, um, perfectionism, all of these things also are not helpful for like not quote falling into these habits or trying to work your way out of them. So there might be specific bio-individual like root causes or things in your life that really made this happen. Maybe an incident, maybe some behavior, maybe some form of trauma that happened in your life that's very specific to you. And it's also really important to consider what our environment is. Like, what are we watching? What are we reading? What are the people in our lives, whether they're like the people in our like day-to-day life that we actually have real contact with or the people that we follow or listen to? Like, what are they saying? What are they talking about? The thing that, like you said, like noticing how you've been in the past and being like a bit cringy. Also, like those are all the stories that I like DM you about on Instagram. I'm like, oh, me too. I did this. <laughs> no. Um, is like, there is such a large emphasis. Like if the people you follow in the nutrition world or the health world or the wellness world are constantly talking about clean foods, dirty foods, um, being perfect, like making, like if there's so much emphasis on this very black and white thinking, whether it's good, bad, fucking guilt-free, which I can't stand. Like if there's such an emphasis on that, or there are still people, because I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you've been working through that. If there are still some people that are left that you're kind of popping or you're realizing that they have that, it might be worth like opting out of what they have to say and, or having, if these are people in your life, like potentially having a conversation or like, this is probably not the best advice, but can like reconsider your friendships with people, especially like if there are people that are so like, this is their path and this is their life. It's really not up to you to change them. Like only they can change them. If you feel like they might be open to having a dialogue, whether that's messy or like really like back and forth and really helpful. Cool. And it's not your job and yours or your responsibility to bring this up to them and to make them, for lack of a better term, make them change. So Mm -hmm. it's important to consider like who's around you, who do you want to still be around, especially if those people aren't helpful for you and your life and what you need and your healing. Um, And finding other people, other folks that are interested in what you're interested in, or maybe also stepping outside of this and really finding them because I've given the, 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 um, advice in the past many, many times of like, yeah, if these people don't work for your life, like bye. But that's also dangerous advice too, because we can't do any of this work really alone. Like, yes, you're going to do a lot of the internal work. Most of that you're doing the heavy lifting and healing and doing work in community is so, so important. Like it really takes that work that you're doing to the next level. 
not in the way that you like, you need to like, this is the new hot thing. Like everyone should, but it really, I have seen it in my own life. Like being in community with people that really understand you, that really validate you, that really can hold space for you, whether that's your friends or like a group or a therapist or whomever, that can be extremely, extremely healing and helpful and also extremely reassuring that you are doing this thing and that you're not alone or um, out there or fringe or whatever. So I think that's really helpful to consider your environment and to move forward thinking about what you can add to your environment and maybe what you can adjust and take away. Also, what I found, this shout out to my friend, Lucia Holly, who is also an NTP. Uh, her Instagram is Essential Envore. She has Essential Envore podcast. She found this information. So I'm going to shout it out to her because that's what we do here. We're all about community. That Instagram usage has a higher, there's a study that was done uh, in 20, I think 2017, that Instagram, higher Instagram usage is associated with a greater tendency towards orthorexia. Which is not surprising. No, it's not at all. It's not at all. And it's also like seeing that, like that's the fact that someone studied, that people studied that and confirmed that in a paper. I was like, oh yeah. Yeah. And well, it's also interesting talking about like perfectionism because I see for me, I feel like orthorexic tendencies or disordered eating behaviors that I had definitely were focused around perfectionism, a manifestation of like a lot of other perfectionist tendencies that I have. This is something that I just wanted to read from the study because I, when I read it, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I'm scared. It's, it says both anorexia and orthorexia share traits of perfectionism, cognitive rigidity, and guilt over food practice food transgressions. One's OCD and orthorexic behavior share, sorry, while OCD and orthorexia share intrusive thoughts and ritualized food preparation, Instagram use is linked to increased symptoms of orthorexia, eating disorders, and weight disorders. Mm. I mean, it makes sense. Like it's very, it's very rigid. It's very binary. It's very like diet culture totally normalizes all of this stuff and makes it feel okay yeah like people are people are celebrated for this stuff so it's like of of course like if you're in this world if you're in this cycle that really celebrates and um lauds that and puts on on a pedestal while also at the same time villainizing other people that don't have this or aren't looking for thinness or aren't thin of course you're going to be like well it's fine everybody does this right no (laughs) <laughs> no, no. Well, it just really drives home how specific we need to be in what our social media feeds are looking like and the type of media that we are consuming, who we're following, what type of messaging that is constantly coming at us. And as you alluded to, a PSA for the trainers, the health practitioners, the nutritionists who are listening in, we really need to stay aware of the type of messaging that we are putting on to people and how we are like potentially making them feel from consuming our work. These are conversations that we need to be having with ourselves all the time because this is real stuff that people are feeling and experiencing. 
Yeah. And being on this, the practitioner side of whatever practice you're practicing with people, really seeing how much you and other practitioners have, we have an impact on regular folks that don't have this education, that don't have this training. We have such a big, not to be like, oh, well, we're big shit, but we have an impact. Like people see the fact that we've studied, that we have certifications, that we've done trainings, that we offer programs, that we offer coaching. Like it's very normal for us to be quote on a higher level. I'm not saying this is a good thing, but we're seen on a higher level because we have this knowledge. But oftentimes a lot of us are still very much working through the same issues that our clients come to us for. And that's not a bad thing. It's just to say that it's really important to be aware and have the conversations and acknowledge the fact that all of this stuff exists, all these systems exist and all these systems can be very hurtful to our clients and perpetuating those systems, whether you're aware of it or not, is very damaging for, for yourself, for your clients. Like it's, it's not helpful. Yeah. All of this. Okay. Last question as we wrap up here, what are you into lately? What am I into lately? I'm really into meeting people in real life. I'm really into meeting people in real life. If I have a chance to connect with somebody new or um, just have an opportunity to see someone that I know in person or find more community in real life, I've been doing that because I, like, like yourself, I have so many lovely people that I know that are like, I'm totally aligned with and they're all so far away. <laughs> I know. So I'm trying to find opportunities to participate in, or maybe one day create communities that are in real life. Because like I said, the, the healing of being in community, whether you're all here to focus on something, or if you're just here to talk and be seen, like is extremely powerful. So that's, that's really what I've been into lately. Like real life shit. I love that. And until we can get more of that real life stuff with you, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on my website. There are a lot of recipes on there. There are not as much anymore, but you can find all the information about my podcast. If you're interested in working with me, I also have a fucking sweet enamel pin that Jesse was <gasps> so awesome and bought many, many pins. Thank you so much. Um, so <laughs> my website is small-eats.com. Uh, my podcast is the Small Steps Podcast. It comes out every Wednesday if you want to listen to that. And you can find me on Instagram at small underscore eats. If you want to buy the cool pin, you can go to small-eats.com slash shop and it's there. Wonderful. We'll link it all in the show notes of this episode. Amy, thank you so much for being on with us. Thank you so much. This was such a fun and meaty conversation. I loved it. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 